Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Third Wheel. I'm one of your hosts, Aaron. And I'm your other host, Hamish. And today we are joined by teacher and podcast host, Eshe. How are you doing, Eshe? And would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, guys. I'm fine. So my name is Eshe, and I'm a teacher. This is my fourth year teaching. I started in Birmingham, and I currently work in London. And as Aaron said, I have a podcast with one of my Teach First friends, and we just talk about career and how to you know, navigate your career, especially as women and especially as people of colour. Awesome. As you said, you do have a podcast with one of your friends who's a previous guest on the podcast, Anu. Anu's also joining us today. Would you like to introduce yourself as well for those who uh, don't know? Yeah, thank you for having me back again, guys. My name is Anu. I am also a secondary English teacher from Birmingham. That's how I met Eshe. We both started on the Teach First program together. And yeah, we started the podcast just under a year ago. We speak to people of color and we predominantly focus on career development, but we also touch on kind of systemic racism, mental health, well-being, all aspects of identity for people of color. When you say like you started on the Teach First program together, so is that not like working in the same school together? It's like something else. Because the program is like a training program. Right. It tells you the basics of teaching and then it places you in separate schools. How long is the program? Two years. So your first year you train as a training teacher and then your second year you will get in the postgraduate diploma in education. So it's a two year long program. Okay, cool. Yeah, I thought it might have been like a good amount of time if that was the first time you met and then you started like a podcast together. But no, that's wicked. Like tell us a bit more, like why did you guys start the podcast in the first place i think like you every time we'd meet up we'd have a lot to say like a lot and we sort of found out that actually we didn't really know anyone anyone or any podcast that was commenting about our experiences especially as young women starting in their career because some of the podcasts i'll listen to is perhaps about people who've been working for 10 years or so or people in leadership positions And we just thought, actually, we need advice on how to navigate your career at the beginning of your career. Because if you're going to be successful later on, you need to start making smart decisions at the very start. And unfortunately, I didn't have that information. So it's taken me until now to realize, actually, I really should have done this two years ago and not now. So we just thought, actually, I'm pretty sure there are people in our positions who would want to listen to people at the start of their career and just kind of help them. I know what you think. Yeah, no, the same. I think the training program, like most programs, was incredibly structured. So it didn't just tell us what to do every week. It told us what to do every day, every hour. It was a very tight, tight regime. And when we completed training, we were kind of left to, you know, our own devices. They were just like, right, you're a trained teacher now. Good luck. And there was no path. There was no guidance. I think the assumption was just go ahead and and teach your lessons and that's it. But there's definitely a way to climb, whatever you want to call it, climb the ladder, gain progression. And it's pretty obvious from the statistics that people of color do not progress. That's the same as other people. They don't get promoted as quickly. They don't make as much money. They don't experience as much success. And I think that was pretty obvious to the both of us in whatever context we worked in. So we were just like, even if we don't know all the answers, because clearly we don't, we're early career people. We've only been working like, you know, three, four years now. Let's at least talk about it because there will be so many other people who are in the same boat. And through the podcast, we've actually 
pretty sure like we've gained a bit more confidence and yeah it just gives a bit more clarity to other people like I think we can just give a bit more advice about if you have just finished the program what should you be doing and like Eshe said what do we kind of wish we'd done differently um when we first started was there any like particular question that you guys thought like this was something that I didn't know and this would be something that would help people like listening to the podcast there are so many things in teaching honestly you could dedicate like I think separate episodes to each of them like Mm -hmm. we've done an episode on mentoring like what does it mean to have a mentor and I've had a lot of feedback from people saying that was so useful We've done an episode about leadership, like what are managers like? What would our ideal manager be? How do we want to be as managers when we get to that position? Because, you know, we've definitely had both positive and negative experiences. I think it's just that the daily experiences of a job, like we just want to help other people navigate it if they feel unsure. Because, you know, when we were starting out, we definitely felt a bit unsure of ourselves. And we talk about, yeah, we talk about imposter syndrome a lot as well. So just the everyday experiences. But actually, I don't know if you can think about like key moments or key questions that made us start the pod. I think for me, it's just out of frustration. Like, I think that was just the point where I'm like, okay, we need to take control of our narrative and we just cannot keep talking into a vacuum because for a while, I just felt that's what we were doing. And I think this podcast has really helped us try and be part of the change that we want to see rather than just discussing and talking about it between ourselves. And I think we're just part of the larger conversation now. I don't know if it will be helpful in the long run, but I think it's far better than just living the conversation between us. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. I think something some you touched on there as well, like just, I think you said you're a lot more confident since starting a podcast. I think that's something I've like noticed in myself, mate, Hamish might say the same thing, like since we started a podcast as well. It's been really cool. I think also there you mentioned like managers. So when you're a teacher, who is your manager? Like if you're kind of like a year, let's say you're a year eight teacher, is that kind of... So your manager is your head of department. So yeah, so that's who your line manager is. Yeah. So you're not necessarily just teaching one year group, right? So when you're Mm -hmm. an English teacher, you'll have a year 11 group, a year nine group across the range. Your immediate manager is your head of department, like Eshe said. And then they are probably line managed by somebody else. So for my last school, my immediate manager was my head of department, but then she reported to a head of faculty. So a guy who looks after English and drama as both departments. And then all of that comes under the head teacher. So we were ultimately line managed by our head teacher. This means he can pop into my lessons anytime he wants. He can ask to see the books of my students anytime he wants. He can have a chat with me about exam results anytime he wants. You're essentially, you know, your performance is up for discussion whenever. I mean, usually out of professional courtesy, they will give you a heads up. Yeah. But if, yeah, whoever is your ultimate, like top person, they can drop in on you anytime. Like we have, and Eshe can tell you a bit more about kind of learning walks in school where while you're teaching, people will just walk past and stare at you. Or sometimes they'll come in and watch you teach and that can be quite intimidating as well so i was going to say like you know when that happens yeah i remember at school yeah if someone came in to watch a lesson you're like sometimes does your class behave more because obviously the class Mm. doesn't want to make your you know it's like a behavioral difference in your students when someone's watching or even worse so they don't want to get you in trouble or something Uh, yeah honestly it just depends on the person walks in and it depends on my class if it's the uh, teacher sometimes you do have everyone sort of standing up and behaving really well 
But at the moment, I'm mentoring someone. And funny enough, when I walk into a lesson, the kids do not stop being naughty. So I was just saying, depending on who you are, and especially how up the ladder you are in the school, then they will sit up and behave well. I mean, I had a really bad experience my first year where I had this nightmare group, like they just had a reputation for being really badly behaved. And I'd specifically told them, I was like, guys, this, you know, white woman is coming in from the university. She knows I can't teach right now, but she's looking for a reason to fail me. Do not be the reason she fails me. And I said that to them. I was like, and they're old enough to understand. I was like, just don't fuck around. Just please, for the love of God, even if you do the bare minimum, I'm fine with that. Let's just all get along for the next 25 minutes. Can we do that? And they're like, yes, miss, we can do it. Yes. (laughs) And then she came in and she sat down at the back and the lesson was going okay. It was tense. Like, I think everybody can just tell that something shifts when someone comes to watch you because you're not just with your teacher anymore. And then all of a sudden in the middle of the lesson, this boy starts singing a Bollywood song like just just to him, like he's just writing a paragraph or something, and he just starts singing some sort of really yeah popular Bollywood song. I think it was an old one, and he just starts singing. And honest to God, well, obviously she doesn't know what the song is. She doesn't know what the language is. So the white woman at the back who's observing me just looks at me like, "Are you all right? What's going on? Do you need a minute?" And I'm looking at him the way I'm assuming all Asian mothers look at their sons. When they get out of hand, I'm just like, you pipe the fuck down right now. I will handle you. I will manhandle you if I have to. And he gets the message and he shuts up. But when they all leave, because I guess the most tense part is when your class exits, the person observing you has that meeting with you about how it went. And that's the bit I didn't want. I don't Mm -hmm. think I didn't mind the rest of the lesson, but I was just like, what the fuck is she going to say to me when they go? Mm -hmm. So they all left and she was like, well... Oh, well, that was interesting, wasn't it? Yeah, well, that was quite, yeah, it was different, wasn't it? And interesting and different are just British words for... The lesson did not go, wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I like yeah. to tell you that. <laughs> I don't care about your feelings to tell you that. Was, was, the, was the kid good? Like, did he no, sound good? No, oh my God. He has a reputation for being awful. Like, he's the type who, for years to come, like, when, so I, like I said, I recently left my school. So, um, Friday was my last day and my line manager gave this speech about me and he was my mentor when I started at the school. So he was like, Anu, thank you so much for all the work you've done. And I'm so sorry I gave you that group. And that was his like final thing to me in front of the whole school. He was like, I know I messed up. They were a really bad group and I shouldn't have given them to a trainee teacher. I'm really sorry. I hope you'll forgive me one day for what they put you through. And I was like, it's calm, it's calm. I'm going now anyway. <laughs> no, he he had a reputation. I was almost about to say his name then. I was like, I can't do that. Oh. No, I mean, I mean, like, did he did he sound good? Was he a good singer? No, no, oh. of course not. He was just, he couldn't bear the fact that he wasn't being given any attention. So he was like, I've got to grab it. Got to take my moment. Oh, I was thinking like, if it, at least if, if he was a good singer, you could have like spotted some like potential, you know? No, I hate, you know, for the teachers, you like when you had those sitting people at the back were like observing the lesson yeah, and then those sitting people, you're coming and then ask you, how's your work going? And you're actually stuck on a question. The one time was something like <laughs> yeah. in Matt's time, but I was stuck on a question. I was like, yeah, I'm just trying to figure it out. Yeah. And she's like, why aren't you getting help from the teacher? I'm like, what do you mean? I just got to the question. Because <laughs> like, I, I liked the message. I was like, you know what? Yeah. 
Why, why is this woman being a pain for no reason? Yeah, like, leave us alone. Yeah, Let's and that's the on. thing, Hamish. When you don't get it, it's never going to be about you. They're just going to, you know, hound the poor guy after that. They'll be like, why are you the reason Hamish doesn't know the answer to the question? Yeah. What, what is the deficiency in your teaching? Oh, I'm so glad that bit's done. I think when I qualified, that was the first thing I was relieved about. I was like, no more other people snooping in in my lessons and me being embarrassed. That's not happening again. Thank God. I can't wait to do that to somebody else if I decide to mentor someone. This is what I would say, though, because when I started teaching, my mentor would be like, listen, when I come into your classroom, I'm looking for you to succeed. I'm not there to judge you. And I feel like now that I'm doing it, I totally agree with that sentiment. Like when I go into the classroom, I'm not there to be like, oh, you haven't done this well. I really want you to succeed. And I really want to help you improve your practice. So when people walk into my classroom, which is a lot now, because my school is trying to get a good when Oxford comes in. So I do have a lot of people coming in. I'm just like, okay, it's fine. They do want me to succeed. They want me to do well. And they're just there to help me. Yeah. And I think that's what you, you, re- you realize when you go to observe someone else, that you do want them to succeed. Yeah, but I think I guess part of the thing behind what we talk about on the podcast is this sense of like scrutiny you might feel if you're a person of color. Like Mm. for me, I've always felt like people are like, well, why are you teaching English? Are you sure you're good enough to teach English? And I feel like that follows me wherever I've gone, no matter what lesson I've taught. Mm. So I think I add a bit of extra pressure to myself. I'm like, I'm not allowed to fail. And I guess as you know, people of color growing up, I don't think I was ever encouraged to fail. I was always taught to do the best, to get the best grades. So when you fall on your face while you teach a lesson, there's nowhere else to go. Like if you failed in a lesson, you failed and that's just the truth of it, but it can be quite humiliating. And I think through the podcast, we have really tried to just give other people encouragement about messing up and just how to bounce back and take it easy and it's not always about work yeah we talk about work-life balance a lot because we definitely didn't have that <laughs> our first year me and Ashley used to meet up and be like are you getting any sleep because I'm not getting any sleep do you ever see your friends I never see my friends <laughs> so yeah just trying to encourage people not to do it the way we did it because you don't have to burn yourself out I was going to ask about the people of color thing so in teaching at least in my school specifically there was it was quite you know like mixed so like in at uni I noticed there was a big you know, like that big skew of maybe the, like you can see there's more, for example, like white teachers compared to, you know, like ethnic minority groups. So is there like a scheme that also lets ethnic minority groups specifically into teaching or is it just like free fall kind of? Well, Teach First has a diversity commitment. So like any other big organization, like your PWCs, like your Deloitte, they'll all say, we want to have brown and black people join our group. That's no different to what Teach First says. But the issue is, once you get in, there is no specific guidance to help brown and black people make it to a better position. There's around 24,000 head teachers in the UK, and less than 2,000 of them are from, I hate using BAME, but yeah, they're from a BAME background. So it goes to show you what happens is ordinary brown and black teachers make it into the classroom, but it's specifically, I think, easier for white men and women to make it into senior leadership positions. The head teacher is almost usually white. Mm. The deputy head is also almost usually white. If they are from a different background, it's not because it was easy for them. It's because they've really had to like push themselves to, to get that. And Eshe, I'm sure you can definitely add to that as well. I mean, I honestly agree with that. So the joke at my old school was this. 
if you look at the classroom teachers, they're all female, but then you look at the senior leadership team, they're all men, and you're just like, where did the men come from? So that still tells you the uh, discrepancy when it comes to gender and race as well, because they're all uh, white men, they're with a token women. And of course, that token women will always be white. Mm. And then coming to my new yeah. school, at first it wasn't like that. So my new school, the senior leadership team was very diverse with like women of different races uh, on board. But now I don't know what is going on. We are facing a redundancy problem, but you can see that the color is being bled out a little bit. And at the moment, there's only one person of color in the senior leadership team, which I think is, is such a shame because I feel like the kids notice stuff like this. Even though they don't have the tools to articulate what is going on, they notice that actually all our teachers or the senior leader, uh, leadership team, everyone is white. Has anyone like ever said anything to you, Rafi? So I had a debate with my kids a couple of weeks ago, actually during it. So a couple of the ones who came in were just like, okay, let's talk about education. Do you think education is equal or not? And they're like, no, education is not, it's not equal. We see the racism that happens. Yes, we don't mention it. Yes, we don't discuss it. But we know that, you know, people in this school who have power are mostly white and white men. And I think they can see this. All you need to do is talk to them about it. And I feel like as a school, we don't necessarily talk to our kids about inequality within education, because I guess very patronizingly, we think they don't know, they don't notice it. And especially if you are, so the kids I was talking to were mostly black and brown kids. So if you're talking to a black and brown kid, they will notice it. They will tell you what is going on even more so than the white kids. Yeah. And I think like, First of all, I, no school will have that conversation because you've got to consider the leadership structure of a school. Who is going to be the most uncomfortable in a conversation about racism? Probably the white male head teacher. So no, I, I mean, I'm yet to meet a progressive head teacher who's openly happy to have a conversation like that. But what do you think, Aaron, about like having a conversation about it? So like when I was leaving, I had a pretty long you know, notice period. So I'd confirmed that I was going like three or four months ago. And I had a year 11 group that I was really close to. Like I've seen them since they were in year eight. So we kind of get on and we can talk about stuff that's not necessarily always about, you know, teaching. So at the end of a lesson or whatever, they were like, oh, we've heard that you're going. Like, why are you going? And obviously um, from a polite point of view, I don't necessarily want to tell them, like, I don't think I have any room to grow in this school because that's just the truth. Like all my leadership positions in the department are filled. So there was nowhere for me to go apart from being a normal classroom teacher. So I was just like, yeah, guys, I just want to progress and I need to go do that somewhere else. And they got it. They were like, yeah, we get it. It doesn't seem like you have anywhere to go here, miss. Like there's no opportunity for you. So yeah, you need to go. But it's a shame you're going because that's how good teachers leave because they have nowhere to go in their current school. Kids get that. And then I think... If you can have an uncomfortable conversation with your manager, you know, if you feel comfortable enough, you can speak about it. Like I was, when I was going to look for other jobs, my manager was like, well, you can stay and just, you know, keep working on what you're doing. And I was like, yeah, but I already know what I'm doing. I need to be able to add to my experiences if I want to progress. And she was like, yeah, well, we don't really have any roles open right now. And then literally a week later, they advertised two new roles at my school. I was like, hmm, I, you, you told me a week ago there, were, there was nothing else to do. So the, the conversations about progression from management is really different to the conversations that everyday teachers have. And unless they link up 
and they open up the room for discussion and they you know put all their cards on the table and they make it really transparent about what what is it like to do well in this school how can i progress if that's a mystery to a member of staff they're not going to want to work at that school for very long if if they have a plan to succeed if i want to learn how to be a manager but you're not going to make that obvious to me or you're not willing to sit down and speak to me about that then i'm going to have to look for that guidance somewhere else i think i want to second that as well because I feel like your conversation you had with your line manager mirrored the conversation I had with my line manager at my first school where everything was so cryptic. And I left that conversation thinking, I'm still as confused. I don't know what you mean. And then I had a similar conversation with my line manager a couple of weeks ago. And the difference was it was very, very transparent. It was just like, this is what you need to do to succeed. If you want to succeed here, you're going to have to be patient. If you don't want to be patient, then my advice would be go to a different school because no opportunity will crop up in the next two years. So your line manager told you that? Yeah. So it was just because of this school situation. It was just like, you're not going to get promoted. Okay, I know what I want to do. And it was just like, if you want to do that, it will not happen at this school anytime soon. But if you feel like you can't wait, then leave this school and apply somewhere else. And I just appreciated that honesty. At least I know where I stand in relation to the school. Yeah. Yeah, that's like what Eshe had is what I wished I had. Because with with my conversations, they just tiptoed around everything. And they were like, we're so lucky to have you. Like, you're such a great addition to the department. They were just trying to, I guess, sweet talk me into staying. And I think, truthfully, if the pandemic hadn't happened, I probably should have left a year ago. Like, I stayed one year too long because I... It was so many, like Eshe said, like cryptic conversations where they were never upfront about what's coming up. I just needed to know, is there a new role coming up? And if it isn't, then someone needs to tell me it's okay for me to go. And nobody was honest enough with me. So it's a credit to Eshe's manager that, you know, she was able to have that transparent conversation. Yeah, for sure. I think I'm actually, as you're saying, I was trying to like think of all my previous teachers and I'm struggling to think of more than one teacher I had who wasn't white. You both kind of mentioned like really briefly a sort of gender in there. Did you ever notice like, I don't know if this is a thing, but for me in primary school, it was very heavily female dominated, like even the senior team, like the head teacher, the vice, vice head teacher, the deputy head teacher, deputy head teacher, I think it was what we called it. But even a lot of the teachers, I think there was only one male teacher in the whole school. But then going to secondary school, it then kind of like flipped on its head and the whole like, head teacher, deputy head teacher was all male and the heads of the year were male. And then going into uni, I think it was also kind of male dominated as well. But it's interesting for me, I don't know if it might just, I don't know if it's an anomaly or something called just that particular school, but primary school was like very female dominated. And then as I got older, it was then became male dominated. I don't know if that's like a thing. Or... Yeah, I think it is because it's to do with like assumptions about gender. So mm. in primary school, as a teacher, because you're teaching really young kids, you're expected to be nurturing. And, you know, as a society, we assume that women are going to be more nurturing. So perhaps that's why that role is dominated by women. And then when you come to secondary school, specific subjects are dominated by men, right? So you have subjects like maths and science, again, very STEM based subjects. You do have female in those departments, but am my current school and my own school was very heavily male dominated and those are the subjects that you know for a very long time has historically been dominated by men and then when you look at English on the other hand English as as a department has always been dominated by women I mean in all my departments 
has just been like the odd one, the odd man, or at least three men in comparison to like 10 women in the department. So yeah, it's just, it is very, very gendered still. Yeah. What, what do you teach? Oh, like, I know I teach English. Okay. I think touching back on the podcast a bit, how have you kind of just found it in general, kind of the, like from a personal point of view, even like, have you enjoyed it? Have you found it like tiring? Like, I know Anu said, like you make the graphics as well, which I thought was quite cool on your like page. Yeah. Um, honestly, I feel like it's just what I needed because like Anderson alluded to at the start of this podcast, um, I started the recording. Work-life balance has always been a struggle and it's something I'm still trying to manage. And doing this podcast is just something I'm doing for me that has, has got nothing to do with work because sometimes I'm at, that, I'm at this stage right now where I feel work doesn't even represent who I am and work doesn't even represent what I'm passionate about because there are certain things I end up teaching that I'm not even passionate about. Quite When I think about it, I left. I was so glad to leave secondary school because I, because I didn't have to learn about those things anymore. And then funny enough, I'm actually teaching the same things. Yeah, so the podcast is just something I'm doing for me, something I really enjoy doing. And if I could, I would totally quit my job and do this full time. <laughs> so far on this podcast, you both you, you spoken like really openly and honestly about this. And even on your own podcast, you have. Do you not have to be like kind of wary about the like things you say? So at the moment, no one in school knows I have a podcast and I, I haven't shared that with um, any of my work colleagues. Looking back at what I've said, I think if you're really being honest with yourself, I think you would agree. I don't think anything I and Annual have said is necessarily controversial. No, no. Especially when we look at senior leadership teams. All you need to do is look at the stats for that to confirm everything that we've said. So yeah, I think it's just kind of being honest. And I feel like, I know sometimes people might see this as hearing our school's dirty laundry, but I hope that if it does, if school does find out that I am recording the podcast, I hope they wouldn't see it that way because especially my current school, there's just so much I love about my current school and so much that we're also celebrating about education, but there are also certain things that need to change in education and it's not going to happen if we're not having being honest and saying exactly what it is because that's what we wanted and that's why we created this podcast in the first place. Yeah, no, hundred percent for sure. Um, where where can people who are interested in podcasts where can where can people find it? So we are on Spotify, and not familiar with Apple, but I know um, Apple Podcasts. There we go. So we're on Spotify and Apple Podcast, and it's called Now Thrive. Awesome. Yeah. yeah, we'll put like links to all of it in the in the description. Was there anything else on like teaching specifically that you wanted to like touch on or like explain or get out get out there? Oh, yeah. I mean, so this is going to sound so cheesy, but I think it's really believing in yourself because I really struggled with imposter syndrome and just thinking that, okay, you know, I'm not good at my job. I'm not good enough. And it's something I've been working really hard to try and get rid of, because when you feel like you're not good enough, you're not likely to go for opportunities thinking that, okay, I don't have um, 100% of the skill set needed to be successful in this role. And I think that in itself can be very limiting. So I would just say, sort of believe in yourself. Yes, you might not know everything, but I think you know the, you know what you need to know in order for you to move on to your next role or grab the next opportunity. Yes, that's what I would say. Has anyone like reached out to you, colleagues or like external people regarding the stuff you've spoken about on the podcast? Teach first have done that to praise us as well as to say, oh, that's okay. they've been really supportive as an, as an organization, I have to say. And I think it's just been really nice because 
we weren't expecting that support. So it's just really nice to know that teach first. They do want, as an organization, they want us to, um, to succeed. So that has been a very nice boost. And I know because teach first is very supportive, perhaps if my school ever find I'm recording a podcast, I'm hoping they will be as supportive as teach first. Yeah, or a soft on the bloke. Just be like, well, teach first supports us. <laughs> Ask them to sponsor you too. Yeah, maybe, you, should, uh, yeah. <laughs> you should like maybe check if they're willing to like let you use some branding or something if you can like get agreed and then you could have it like um in association with something so even if it's unpaid from them like you could end up having you know say backed by teach first or something that would also look good on them so yeah so they'd be very good at doing that to be fair because they've like still posted our episodes and on the um, chat they've invited us to panel talks yeah so they have been very good they've been a very good alma mater if they were my alma mater that's wicked might need might need to tag them in this episode see what i say i think it's it (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah yeah moving on a bit i know in our plan we've got like we can probably like bundle this together so there's like the whole free school meals campaign that marcus rashford campaigned for and like is still campaigning for and then like the racism after the uh, european championships final this year so i think going back to we have touched on the marcus rashford free school meal campaign in like a previous episode we've actually had quite a few teachers on the podcast like looking (laughs) looking back on it but like how is that something the like free school meals campaign is that something like really kind of relevant in your school that you're teaching at i think it is especially if you work in an inner city school so again i do know what an inner city school is is an area that's like usually deprived right okay and in that area quite high number of my kids are on free school meals so say for example if you're a teacher and you teach in the middle class school the percentage of students on free school we might be i don't know five percent in comparison to my current school is just about really bad i hope i don't want to get i'm not going to give a statistic because i'm not sure (laughs) but it's quite a high amount of students on free school meals and I remember when um, all of this was going on last year, I remember thinking, surely the government will not say no to this. It just seems so ridiculous. The whole idea of refusing to feed children, especially poor children whose parents could not naturally afford to feed them. And because of the pandemic and as a result of the pandemic, people have lost their jobs. And we know the first people to lose their job will be, those, will be their parents already on very like low paid jobs. So I just thought, of course they won't say no. I mean, Boris Johnson can't be that evil. I can't be that villain. So I remember a couple of us were discussing at work and we all decided, no, over the summer, they will have their meal, only to realize, actually, that is not going to be the case. And it was quite shocking, to be honest. And yeah, and I think it's really interesting that, you know, football players and um, famous people are doing the job of the government. And I think there's something quite, awful about that we call ourselves a democracy because i still feel like certain things should be done by the people who we voted for i did not vote for boris johnson but you get an idea you know he has a popular vote and he needs to be doing his job that is to as much as he can represent and look after the people that he governs and i mean i'm not surprised because historically that has not happened just because someone is a prime minister that doesn't mean you know, he'll necessarily do a good job and look after everyone and he's looking after. But I feel like in this instance, I actually thought he would step up and do the right thing. So it was slightly disappointing to see. Yeah, I think it's also, yeah, it's bad how I think it was Matt Hancock at the beginning. I think this was more COVID related, but still he was kind of like telling like footballers should be like, get more involved and should be like role models and stuff. And then Marcus Rashford did. And then they were kind of like, uh, this is a, 
yeah, we don't like this. <laughs> I mean, it kind of goes back to the idea of football. And it's the natural assumption that football players do not need their brains to do well. They just need to be, you know, physically fit to do well. And then there's an assumption that if you want to be a prime minister or someone or AMP, you need to be quite intelligent. And I think perhaps that's where that is coming from. You know, Marcus, I'm so sorry. Are you qualified to do this job? No, go go and use your body to do your actual job. You are not qualified. You are not as clever. And I think perhaps that was the undertone. I was sort of beneath the conversations that people were having. Yeah, the cheek of these, well, at least the conservative as well, was like, remember they were like doing some like back backhand dealing with like David Cameron giving out loopholes to get the 50 million extra loans for X and Y companies that they consulted for. And they didn't have the nerve to try and, you know, feed the kids. And I was just like, I know. Which... I was like, come on. And anyone who voted conservative who was complaining about it, like they're just as much responsible because this is literally what, what happens. Like people have to understand, like if you vote for people who only care for the rich, Mm. It, it's never gonna you know end the way that you're claiming or that you you know like you say that fits with your morals but yeah that, that was just like a very disappointing thing to just see in general i also remember i don't know which mp it was Aaron, do you know which mp it was that was like acting marcus rashford on time like the day before a game oh and other people stepped in and said bro chill out he's got a game to play tomorrow who i'm sure he'll yeah, respond yeah, to you yeah. right after yeah yeah I, I, I forgot i don't think it was like a big i don't think it was a big name Jackass as well. Yeah. The thing is, they like if you have you seen the food bills of the thing. There was like a, a document or something released a while back yeah, of like the food bills for them. Like they order like Uber Eats or something every day, yeah, and their food bills are an insane amount. Yeah, but they couldn't offer like twenty pound a week, mm. for example, to kids. And I was like, and when they did, when they did give the free meals, like I saw photos where it was just like a mm. banana and properly, like yeah. a bag yeah. of crisps, a small sandwich. And something. What was kind of like the at the height of it? I don't, I don't know what like time period this was last year. I can't remember, but I think we were in like summertime. So during the, any major holidays, that's what was the conversation. Oh, so you, well, you wasn't in school during the time. Yeah. Like, so the first argument started if the kids were going to be fed over summer, and people had said. So we got this was a government's response. So if if this wasn't a pandemic, normally students will not get fed over summer. So that yeah, so meals would not be provided only in extreme cases then that is down to the discretion of the school to keep doing that so that was the argument we, um, that we gave in so i guess teachers argument was like okay fair enough but you do understand that some of these parents have lost their jobs so they're literally dependent on this and it is a pandemic and you as the leader of the country you are aware of how people have lost their jobs and these are the most vulnerable kids in the whole country and that was the idea. But no, it was still, no, we're not going to give the them. But of course, when Marcus Rashford got involved, that really blew up. You know, bad publicity is bad publicity. So I think that's when they sort of backtracked a little bit and said, no, it's fine. It's a pandemic. We're going to do our best and help. Yeah. Did you have like, like any conversation with like your kids about, like, did you just kind of discuss this whole campaign? So interestingly, we didn't. So it was mostly teachers because us at my old school were sort of deciding what we were going to do over the summer and if we could afford it and if we needed, of course, if we need a grant from the government because the school meals are funded by the government. So like I said, only in extreme cases over the summer, the school would feed the kids. So normally it would just be, okay, over the young free school meals over the summer, you get nothing until you're back in school. 
So we did have that conversation amongst us teachers, but not so much with our students at that time, just because we did not see them physically. We're still during lockdown. So we're all, all the teachers were meeting um, virtually. But I feel like something I would love to touch upon as well is the really like the hatred for poor people. And I feel like when you work in an inner city school, you really see that the fact that, you know, our schools aren't funded in comparison to other schools. You know, sometimes I tell people when I first started teaching, it just felt like I was teaching in a third world country where we'd run out of books and would be weeks before we get new books. Like there's an exercise box that the kids need to write on. And it's just like little stuff like that. It just makes you realize actually there is a real hatred for poor people. And there's all idea of deserving poor and undeserving poor, which is very, very Victorian. And I feel like that was what was also implicit in the narrative last summer. So like a year on now from the campaign that Marcus did, where are we at now? Like going into the summer? That uh, is such a good question, actually, because I wish I could tell you an answer for that. Because at the moment, no one is talking about feeding some of our kids over the summer. Yeah, it kind of just died down. Like Yeah, so I was under the impression we were only doing that because it was such a rare, it was the pandemic. Children needed to be fed. So I don't know if that is happening. So I will ask and I will let Anna know and see if she can get back to you guys because at the moment I have no idea. Yeah, it'll be like a huge shame like for it to have just been like a kind of Mm. almost like a publicity stunt and for that everyone's like hard work to just like, just been there for just the summer last year and that's it i think moving on slightly but related i, I don't know if you guys saw like there was a mural off of rashford in manchester yeah that got like uh defaced after the euros final and then people like came to the mural and started like posting like notes on it and everything and um one of the notes that someone left was like from a kid and it was like thanks marcus for feeding me mm. I was just like, oh, I was like, okay, cool. I'm, I'm going to cry. It's fine. But yeah, I think that kind of leads us onto that and like the whole like situation after the Euro final. So for people that don't know, England reached the Euros final this year and it got to penalties and three players for us missed, missed the penalties. And it was Marcus Rashford, Jaden Sancho and Bakayo Saka. And then after the game, they all received a lot of racist comments online, on social media. Which hasn't been, I don't think it's been the first time for, mm-hmm. well, I, I know from, because like Marcus Rashford plays, plays for a football team I support, so I know it hasn't been the first time he's kind of received that. Sadly, I'd probably assume it isn't the first time the other two have either. I think a massively sad thing for me was when they did miss, I kind of knew mm-hmm. that this was going to happen. Yeah. Honestly, I'm really not surprised because I knew that was going to happen. Even before, I remember going to sleep thinking, yeah, they're definitely going to get it. So I'm not a football fan, so I don't understand why loads of fans were upset. Because, you know, the last time we won the Euros was 1966. So That, that wasn't even the Euros, that was the World Cup. I see, so I don't even know. Is so it, we, we haven't even won, won the Euros. Before? No, no. So, I guess, so why were we this upset? Because I just feel like, you know, the boys have done so well to get mm-hmm. us into the finals. When was the last? Okay, I don't follow football, so I don't have... The last final was... What you said, 1966. Okay, there we go. So I just feel like, you know, people's reaction was a bit too much because I just thought everyone would have been grateful that they got into the finals and let's kind of celebrate that because in itself, it's still a success. Maybe it's just me and how I view success because you've never done this for over 50 something years and you finally did it. There should be that sense of celebration, that sense of pride. 
But of course, that's not what we saw. And when I was talking to my cousin about it, and she was like, well, we're not really surprised. So my cousin lives in Mali. And she sort of said when she was growing up in the 80s, this was what British football fans were known for, racism and vandalism. Yeah, hooliganism. Yeah. yeah, so she's like, I'm not surprised this is what happened. Of course, during our lifetime, I've never seen the situation as bad as it was on Sunday. And it was just really despicable and disgusting because it's almost like going home and then trashing where you live. And for yeah. me, I just think that just that my mind, I'm still trying to articulate my coherent <laughs> response to what I saw on Monday, which I still can't. And I just feel really sorry for those players. And I guess this is what activists have been campaigning about. You know, football is racist and it's an issue that we need to take seriously. And especially what was more shocking was the increase in domestic violence. Yeah. And I feel like what was even more shocking is apparently if England had won, it would all still be, you know, the number would still go up. Yeah, I saw, I saw tweets before the game where it was people being like, you know, regardless of the result today, like there's going to be an increase in domestic violence here and like the helpline numbers. And that's just like, it's just weird thinking about that, that people know it's going to happen, like this bad thing, regardless of in 90 minutes, like regardless of the outcome. Yeah. And that they people need to like put these helplines out there. Exactly. And I feel like what was really missing from the old conversation is toxic masculinity. And I think it's a real issue. And no one has really said, laid out a concrete plan on how to address it. Because, you know, toxic masculinity is dangerous to women and is dangerous to men and people of colour. And I just think it's something that we saw on display on Sunday night. And no one's really talking about that. And I feel like it's such a shame. And as a teacher, I'm really fascinated by that because sometimes I look at some of the boys I teach and I make a point in kind of calling them out and just saying, you know what, you cannot behave like this. But you could potentially be a danger to someone else. And I know you don't want to be that way, but you need to start thinking very carefully about how we're reacting to stuff and what our response should be and what our response should not be. And the way the men responded on Sunday night is definitely not a way to respond to losing. Yeah. Do you think that's like, are they kind of like saying like boys would be boys kind of thing? And it's like brushed off. Yeah, literally now. So they're no longer boys, they're just men. So men will be men. This is how they've acted in the past. And this is how we're going to continue acting. If I know Boris Johnson wants to like, at the moment, I think there's a bill in discussion to ban like racist people from like turning up at games. That's a good step. We'll see that will actually actually succeed. But yeah, I feel like this is something they should have ended 40 years ago. Because I just don't think it's okay. We can't keep saying men should be men. So it's okay for men to respond angrily. It's okay for men to destroy stuff in order to show their anger, in order to show their feelings of loss and frustration. And it's actually not okay. Because many people were equally as angry and upset at the game, but not everyone went out and took it on other people and on properties. You know what, what I hear like about football yeah, sometimes is like to add on to your point is when it's like, people like, I don't know how to say it, but like, you know how there's like, we call it football hooligans. Like, they use alcohol and like the football as a pretext to act like, act like, you know, intimidating or act like, you know, like they're all super big or something because they're rolling in a group. Mm. I don't know how to explain it, but like, that's the one thing I hate about like the football atmospheres. Like I hate because, so I live in Wembley, so like I have to see a lot of this shit whenever the um, games are going on. And I just absolutely hate it with a passion, you know, like that kind of behavior and i don't know like why why it exists in the first place but 
it's just like I don't know. It's it's not even good energy. Like there's there's a there's a way to be like you know all being support together, and then there's a then there's a way to just be a dickhead. Mm. The thing is, I do think it is largely England and England fans. Yeah. Like you see like celebrations in other countries where they're celebrating like a good victory or performance and it is like quite, it can be like really beautiful, like coming from football. And it's something like even this summer where I felt a bit like I love this England team, but also kind of like I didn't want some England fans to be happy, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like it's just like a large group like online that I see and I'm just like, I just don't, I know you're going to be like racist after the game regardless of the result or you're going to like abuse some players and like, yeah, even like after, what is it, when we played, like small stuff like booing national anthems, like a lot mm. of our fans did during the tournament, or like when we played Germany. Oh, yeah. A lot of the English fans were still talking about the war. And they were even like, they were singing songs. I think the England fans have had this song we've kind of sung for years about like the World War and like German bombers. And I could hear it like on TV, like the English fans singing it. And it's oh, like, it's just like, I want the England team to win. Yeah, but. Also, if we lose, I'm kind of like, yeah, good. Like, you deserve it. Yes, people just have their heads stuck up their asses. Like, that's the kind of stuff, like, makes some of those football, like, just so, like, not appealing. Mm-hmm. I think it's just, so one of my colleagues actually went to see that game. So he went to the finals and was it the game, was it the game where it's Germany as well? And when he came back, I was just like, okay, yeah, tell, tell me about it. So he told me about that game, the, uh, the songs that the English fans were singing because I didn't watch that game. And he'd still not problem with it. And I think that was really interesting because I remember thinking, isn't that a tad bit, I don't want to use the word unprofessional, but on spotmanship, I don't even know. And it's just so no problem with it. And I feel like that is the issue though. Many of our fans see no problem with that kind of behavior. Yeah, I, th- I think that also kind of gets brushed off with like sport and just they're like, our oh, sport's there to like win. And like, you're just trying to get like a competitive advantage. I think a lot of people kind of see it like that. Mm. And like the consequences, they're just like, yeah, like screw them kind of thing, which I think is yeah, pretty bad. Yeah, I feel like it just becomes like a, I don't know how to else to explain it, but it becomes like into that big dick energy kind of thing. It's like, oh, who can do this? Who can fuck up this more after the game or something? Like who can shout out, like who can try like, you know, scream at random people on the road right after. It's literally, as you said, like it's literally toxic. There's that tweet, I don't know if you guys see like that meme where it's, it's like an image of like a really futuristic city, but then there's a meme where it's like, oh, if, if Kane had passed a Sterling, this is what England would look like, or if England won on penalties, this is what England would look like. And it's like, it's a nice sentiment, but it wouldn't. Like England would be a mess if we won. Mm, true. I think I saw pictures of like Leicester Square after the, or yeah. like the morning of the game or like after the game or whatever, and it was just trashed. Honestly, even so, I normally get the train and get off and start rice lip. When I got off the train on Monday, the platform was just full of rubbish. People just left their rubbish there and just walked off. Yeah. Like going back onto like the racism, like sent to like Rashford, Sancho, and Saka, what have you made of the kind of response to that as well? Because I've, I've seen conflicting stuff on this as well. Like some people like really being like, oh, this is beautiful. This is like, this is the real England, but then also people kind of being like, okay, we've like made too much of this now. They were kind of being, they thought like they were being used almost. Mm. I don't know. Well, what do you think? So, like I said, I, okay, I think I'll just go for it. So it was really nice sort of seeing, especially um, Rashford's mural, the positive message that was being written on it. I thought that was really sweet. 
and the support has gone into Saka and Sancho as well. It's been very lovely and nice. But at the same time, when we think about 2020 and loads of British people respond to Black Lives Matters, we need to kind of align them up. Because I feel like perhaps we're supporting these people because we think we know them and they're quite visible. And the reality is that there are countless of Black people who are not visible. So the question we need to be asking ourselves is what are we doing to, for, uh, for those people? How are we responding to the hatred and the racism these people feel? Because And I just feel like when we think about 2020, some British people's response was absolutely despicable. So to see them do this for the spree, football players love it. But at the same time, it gives us a false sense of, oh, look at how good we are. Look at us supporting these popular black football players. But that's not what you should be asking yourself. What am I doing to support black people who are not popular? Black people who are perceived to have not done anything great for Britain. So you think like the kind of response to like people like Rashford, Sancho and Sacco, because they're like popular people, they play for, yeah. you know, big clubs in England. Um, it's different to kind of like a George Floyd who is a guy mm. in America who is kind of unknown to kind of people. Yeah. Yeah. Nicely put, because that's exactly what I was going for. Yeah. It is tough, I think, because like, I can't help but like look at the mural and stuff like that and be like, oh, it's, it's really nice. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it is really nice. Please. And people on social media, like posting photos, like supporting them. I was just going to say, they're still very sweet because I don't want to like trivialize the support they've received because I think it's really important, they, especially as English footballers, they know they are so supported by the country they're representing. So I thought that was really sweet. Young they're, as well. They're like extremely, all three of them are like very young as well. Yeah. Not that it should be different if it was an older player, but. But also like one thing to note is that Rashford's also like, you know, the younger players that are trying to do this, like they're kind of con more connected to the younger population as well. Mm. So they're able to like, as a result, how do I say it? Like, they can kind of start embedding that change into society at least bit by bit because they're more connected as well as like you see Rashford when he's like trying to feed the kids, he doesn't really care about race or anything or even if the person's family used to be rich before pandemic and so on. Like he'll just be like trying to feed the children. Like he doesn't have an agenda against not feeding any other child if they need a free school meal or if they need meals, make sure they're fed. Like but the, <laughs> but the government don't see it that way. They're, and then whenever like you know this kind of change is made, it's just like people are like, oh, I don't know. I feel like Rashford doesn't get the support. Like maybe if it was a white footballer, like there would have been more support on it, like you know, from the government. But I don't think the government like having to get their ass whooped in, like public in the public eyes when it comes to racism. I agree as well. And again, with my very very limited knowledge about football, what is the captain of England called? I keep forgetting his name. Someone tells me his name, and then I forget. Harry Kane. Yeah, Kane. Um, I think it's just really interesting when Sterling scored. Did Kane score in that game? Because looking at the newspapers' um, headlines, I actually oh. thought Kane scored. I think the one you're talking about, he did actually score, Kane. Okay. But Sterling still scored the like the winner, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like he scored the point, the first goal, which is the important one. But yeah, I know. I know you're talking about. There's like a lot of people kind of like all these news. There's like I don't know, twelve newspapers, and all of them had Kane apart from one. Funnily enough, it was actually the son who had Sterling on theirs. It's really funny. I think it's just interesting, though, because, again, what is Kane doing? Because when I think of a captain, you know, I think of someone who's really leading the group and showing support. And I just feel like with everything that's been going on, again, my very limited knowledge, Kane has not done much. Because I'm just like, has he done much? I've seen a couple of videos from him actually speaking on it, but, like, it kind of doesn't get, like, publicised. Do you know what I mean? When, it, when matters are discussed like this, 
it kind of gets, how do I say it? It It's turned a blind eye to you, Mm. even though it's there. Like, because like you'll see some of these clips like emerge, but you know, like it, it doesn't really like hit. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I'll I'll stick up for Kane a bit. Like I'm not, he doesn't, I'm not like his biggest like number one fan or anything, but like, I think you do have different kind of, kind of captains where some kind of like are more vocal and do stuff. And then some kind of, when it comes to sport football in a way, like some might just kind of lead by example on the pitch. And like, he is kind of the best player like we have. And I think a lot of people as a captain, people would like look to him and be like, oh, okay, I want to kind of be as good as him kind of on the pitch, which is good for a captain. Kind of similar to David Beckham, where he wasn't kind of the most vocal player, but people kind of just looked to him as the way he like carried himself on, on the field. But it's interesting to see, kind of think like, I haven't thought about it, kind of if Marcus, if Harry Kane was doing this through free school meals campaign, or somebody like, I love David Beckham to bits, but like if he was doing it, they probably would have been like much more supported. Yeah. I mean, like probably the Queen was giving him a MBE or whatever. Yeah. So like, Rashford has got one. Rashford did get an MBE. Okay, great. Sterling actually recently got one as well. The Sterling thing's interesting because I, I told, I messaged Hamish after the game. Well, after the game, Hamish is kind of like Sterling should have taken one, a penalty. But I was like, he shouldn't have. And I wasn't talking about like his quality, but I was like, kind of like if he missed, Taking a penalty, there's a good chance you'll miss it. Like it's kind of like 50-50, I think almost. And like just the backlash he would have got, I knew he would have, that was just me kind of saying like, I know he's going to get racist abuse if he misses. So I don't think he should take on like basically, which is sad, but also Sterling has probably been one of the players who's been most subject to it out of anyone in the team. Yeah. The thing was here, like ever since Aaron's known me, like he's known like I've been an avid support of Sterling because you know, he's local and he made it like, and I was like, I don't give a shit. Like, Sterling has done bits for us here and he should have taken like in my opinion but like the, the potential for him to but I like, don't care like I know like people are going to do that racist backlash shit anyways here but it has to be scoffed out yeah but we can't also do it out of fear for him being getting racist yeah, backlash yeah, like, I, I, do I feel like yeah the only difference that in the penalty order should have been here is that Rashford and Saka should have switched or the third person should have been Sterling taking it that's it that was just my thoughts on it because I'm like I just, I know like probably Rashford and can I say Rashford's probably a better penalty taker, but I just thought like, I thought Sterling was kept on to a penalty. Yeah, so, so, did, so, 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 to be fair. What do you think yeah. of like, do you think Sterling should have, as a senior member of the team, been like, is, is, do you count him senior? I thought he's like, like, like thought, 28 or something. Like that. He's 28. Oh, <laughs> I, swear really? he's, wow. I swear he's like old now, oh. man. Bro, there's no way he's Sterling been around. He's been around for ages, man. Wow, I thought it was actually he's at least 26. Now. He's 26. Okay, bro, two years different. Yeah. 26 is, I still say he's 26 is senior in football. Mm. Yeah, I mean, he's senior. That team is very young. Yeah, yeah, for that team as well, for that team. team. I feel like he maybe should have been like, you know what, like, Saka is 18. Like, you don't take this penalty. Like, I'll take the responsibility. But I do think, in his defense, I think it was Gareth Southgate that chose the... uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just uh, like, right. Because I I would always back Sterling, yeah, just out of, like, pure thing. That's the thing, like, I don't know, I feel like, the sense of community in England only revolves around success and using it to, I don't know, as you, Aaron, you're saying like claiming the win thing, yeah. But then it gets dropped off right away if something happens the other way around. Even if the person's done nothing wrong, yeah. Like I remember many years ago when the gun tattoo thing was fucking, he was getting slaughtered for that for no reason. I'm like, the fuck does it matter to you pigs, yeah? Just going about your lives, yeah. And I was just like, but yeah, Sterling. Ever since I've known Aaron, I'm pretty sure Aaron's known that I'll put Sterling in my England team or FIFA no matter what, even if. Even if no one else will. Because he's also a Wembley boy, isn't he? Because I think... Yeah, you have to back yeah, the local there's, there's people. There's a hashtag yeah. boy, boy from Brent, won't it? Hashtag boy from Brent. 
you know the heartfelt videos and like when you hear those that commentary and stuff on it. Yeah. Even now, yeah, that's like a heartfelt thing. It's like, oh, boyfriend Brent. Was there anything else you guys wanted to touch on that? I feel like we might be going too much, too much <laughs> yeah. into the football for uh, Eshe. Too much, too much emotion. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I think it's kind of nice because this is the first time I've actually been ever invested in a game only because of people that I work with. So my school is... All the boys are crazy about football and it's such a massive thing at my school. So this is the first time I'm like, okay, I need to take an active interest and know what is going on. So when the boys, my male students are trying to talk to me, I actually know what they're talking about because they will always ask me, did you see the game? What do you think? So yeah, so when we came into Scott Monday, they were like, what well, do you think Rash, um, Saka should have taken it? Now, I've heard, never heard of Saka before. So I was like, well, I'm a bit surprised because I just thought it would be like, you know, the most, the more experienced um, yeah. players would take it. That's what I thought would happen. But they were like, oh, maybe you wanted to give him an opportunity to play. But then I'm just like, has he really played in the whole game? It was a funny one. But. Yeah. Last thing in football that, uh, as well, I promise. Did you guys see Sir Tyrone Mings's kind of reply to Pretty Patel? Oh God, Priti Patel, honestly, I'm just, oh, I mean, I know she's not from my community, but if she was, I would be rejecting her. (laughs) Yeah, we don't worry, we don't accept it, don't don't get it twisted, we're we're, we're not accepting her in any way. The thing is, yeah, like these people, yeah, will never walk around the areas which they basically show no care to around because they can't basically walk around it without actual safety concern Mm. because of the actions they take. And yet, like, they don't ever think like, oh. I could actually go around visit these areas if, you know, like I corrected my policies a bit to accommodate for them. But once again, as I said, they only cater for those who grew up literally for them. And people will still be like, oh, it's better for taxes to vote for them. The maddest bullshit I heard recently was they support the working class a lot. I'm like, what? (laughs) I know I said that person's on crack because in all these years, if you check it, like they did not support the working class. The NHS have got fucked harder for them. So like, and if the NHS gets fucked, it's not the rich people who get fucked. Because yeah. they're usually going to be on private healthcare. Do you know what I mean? There's like many factors, but I won't go too deep into it right now. Chrissy just, just like... elicit that rant to people. Because every time I, I, every time I hear her speak, I'm just like, why do I do this to myself? And now I'm so mad. I'm just like talking to my computer screen. It's, it's not healthy. I'll read out the tweet. So Pretty Patel, she tweeted the day is the morning after the, the final. She said, I am disgusted that England players who have given so much for our country this summer have been subject to vile racist abuse on social media. It has no place in our country and I back the police to hold those responsible accountable. And then Tyrone Mings, who's an England centre-back who played, played for England at the, at the Euros in like the first two games, he replied to her saying, you don't get to stoke the fire at the beginning of the tournament by labelling our anti-racism message as gesture politics and then pretend to be disgusted when the very thing we're campaigning against happens. So he's referring to like Pretty Patel bit saying like the players taking a yeah, knee for football this. games yeah, is kind of gesture politics. Mm. I don't see Pretty Patel taking a fucking knee. Yeah, yeah. I think I think the the like point like people a lot of people making is I saw a lot of people making was kind of like this kind of specifically this group of England players is like great to see that they're not afraid to kind of like speak out against. Uh, mm. um, I like the unity stuff between like them when on social media and everything as well. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I think like before we end off the episode, something interesting tomorrow is kind of a freedom day. Is that what it's been labeled as? Okay. I'm going to put a downer on it. As someone who works in a school, let me give you the lowdown. Cases has gone up. The amount of teachers and students have to self-isolate in schools. Well, in my school in particular, it's really terrifying. 
And I do not think we should move ahead. I mean, I know no one's going to listen to me, but if someone is at the forefront and a key worker, it is too early to move ahead. With- it's way too early. <laughs> way too early. Can I also add one hour ago? Well, and this is as, as a news that I can see. Boris Johnson and Rishi Sunak will not isolate. Oh, I know. Thing, but, you know, that other guy testing positive. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, Sometimes I'm just like, okay, we need to just chill and understand it's a pandemic. And be very mindful that it's going to take us more than a year to try to come out of this and just think about all the people. Because sometimes I'm really shocked at the lack of consideration given to the person next to us. So I'm just like, it's not just about what we want, it's about what is best for the community. And I know perhaps that sense of community isn't as strong for some people. I think that's what should be, that's what we should all be thinking about rather than wanting to travel. Because the amount of people that I've spoken to was like, I can't wait to travel. Now, I love traveling, do not get me wrong. But then I'm just like, okay, it's fine. You, you, you couldn't travel last year. You might not be able to travel this year. But it's not going to be a permanent thing. Just need to yeah. hang in there for a few more months. Yeah, I feel that. What I was also saying with someone very recently is that we could have just taken a little bit more of an intelligent stance as a country. Mm-hmm. But obviously, both the people, whether it's due to um, like a lack of education in certain ways, and obviously... The people who are meant to set these kind of restrictions in place, if they followed more of like an Australian, New Zealand kind of thing and just gave us a longer first lockdown, like a, until like it was nearly like rippled out and then just kept like, you know, like traveling off for, for example, and then just made people like quarantine right away. If they actually had cases, we would be in a possibly a lot better state. We'd have taken a massive hit to the economy back then, but that's like minor given that we're about that. This is just surging again and we're just being ignorant to the fact and just letting everything on lock up. Well, at the time we're recording, it unlocks in two days. And I just think that's just pure stupidity. Like, it's not like the cases are... Well, every adult right now, it says, has at least received the first dose. Yeah. And the well, they, they've rising. been offered it. They haven't necessarily, like, taken it. Oh, sorry, offered it. Yeah, correction. But yeah, like, it just goes to show that we should not be open. We should, we should maybe stay in the state, or if not, just re- add a couple more restrictions yeah. back in. Because there's no way we should be doing matting. I understand that the weather, like, turns really good when it's about to be like this. But... It's a hit we have to take for the chance for this to be like a long lasting thing, like, you know, long lasting good vibes compared to short lasting. But I think we just have to wait and see because I don't know, there are whispers of a fourth lockdown. I mean, I think, do you think that's what's, as things stand, restrictions are lifted like pretty much? I don't think it's like absolutely everything, but I think it's pretty much, I think, tomorrow. So, what do you think then that's going to be there for like a couple of weeks and then we're going to go back into a lockdown? Bro, if it goes more than four weeks without restrictions starting to fall back in place, then the cases must be going, must have not gone up like an insane amount. But right now we were, what was the cases the other day that I saw? Yeah, like so it was 51,000 something. I don't know. I feel like this is what happened last time though, when we came out. Because then we came out yeah. London around this time and then we had to help to eat out, which I'm not going to lie, I was part of the problem. Yeah, I think, I think we all were. That was, that is, yeah. If I knew, I would have stayed at home. I know. Ugh. It's just more about like, do you care about people's lives or, and like a little bit of like happy, unhappiness right now versus like long term, leaving them long term, you leave them mm. like in a much more smoothened, you know, like it wouldn't be easy to jump back up to that, you know, so-called happiness or quality of life. But come on, we just got to yeah. use a bit more. That is just well. What do you guys think of this phenomenon that started last year where people are like from the UK are traveling to like abroad, but they're going to sort of like either the Caribbean or places that are like tagged as holiday destinations, but that economy is quite poor. Because I know quite a few people took trips to the Caribbean, quite a few people went to Ghana. And oh, really? Like, 
I just I I just saw Dubai. I, saw <laughs> I don't know Dubai. Like everyone was going Dubai. So I feel yeah, like with Dubai, yeah, forgive Dubai. them. You know, Dubai can deal with itself. And I know recently someone at Twitter that actually, please do not come to Hawaii. Do not be selfish. Stay where you are. I think a lot of people are bloody selfish, as we're clearly going to see, and we're going to see it get just a lot worse. And yeah, people just don't. I don't know. I feel like. I feel like if you're responsible for spreading COVID anywhere and you, you end up killing someone else, regardless of if you knew them or not, that life should be on your conscience or there should be some consequence for you. Like if you like intentionally went like during, like I feel like traveling, like unless it's an like absolute necessary business mm. need, like I don't think, or like, you know, health concern, whatever, you do not need to be traveling right now. Like you can wait. The, the country is not going to go away. Don't get me wrong. The country is going to be there even in 10 years from now, next year, whatever. It's not going to disappear. So. Just fucking wait. Like it's, I don't know. I feel like it's a lot more simple than it is, but people just refuse to be rational right now. Yeah, yeah. I think it's just kind of like we'll just have to. We can't like we just have to kind of see what happens. Like I'm hoping it all turns out fine. We've also me and Hamish got a, a boat party booked in September that I kind of want my money back for. So if we're in lockdown during that, like <laughs> blessing, blessing in disguise. True. Because lucky I have plans and part of me is just like, oh, I want to do this. But then I, one of my friends had gone to a festival recently and I can't remember. And she just sent pictures. She posted pictures on Instagram and all I could see was crowds of people. I remember thinking, okay, those are crowds of people. I don't think I actually want to go to festivals. I'm not ready to be surrounded by people who are not social distancing. I don't know how you social distance at a festival. I mean, like at concert, the reason why I'm happy for my concert to be, you know, postponed is because I love the atmosphere, but the people, you know, the density of people like in mosh pits and so on. I know that it's a massive COVID risk that you're, if there's one person in that building that has it, because there are the amount of interaction or like, you know, like um, someone that may happen, it's going to spread like mm. just a madness. But yeah, I think it's just uh, this, this episode won't actually be coming out for a couple of weeks. So by the, by the time it's out, people listening. You might, 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 might be in lockdown already. <laughs> I mean, let's so, be fair though. I feel like whatever happens, as a key worker, lockdown is a myth in my life. I will still go out. Yeah. 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 Wait, can I just say, like, what the fuck is this shit about scrapping masks? And like, I don't think it's like scrap. I think it's just like, I think it's more just it's optional. They're letting people yeah. choose that at their own discretion. I'm like, bro, that's fucked. Oh, don't let these retards make choices like this. Probably just the language, but what? It's basically race. It's, it's like that now. Yeah. yeah, but like we should be enforcing it more, more like, bro. I'm walking into Sainsbury's and so on, and I mean, all I'm seeing is half the people without masks. I'm just like, bro, I don't want to be anywhere near in the vicinity of these people. And they don't, they don't even give a shit. They just like try to walk by you close by when you're standing in the aisle as well. I get vexed. I'm just like, the fuck is wrong with this person? Like, like do I have to give you like, like evil look or something? I, like, I saw a video. It wasn't in the UK. It was, I think it was like France, maybe or Spain. And there was a guy who came on the train without a mask. And then like a load of women with masks like chased him off it. <laughs> like pee off it. It was, it was quite a, yeah, it was, it was quite funny. Honestly, I think people here need to get start getting fucking rushed. That's what I need to think. That's what I think need to happen. I think people just like don't have some common sense. So they need to just start getting rushed for. Well, like think about what happened. At the, like I feel like people were reluctant to start wearing masks at the start of the um, pandemic. Because again, linked with racism. They're like, yeah, that's what people do in, in like China and like, those eastern mm, countries yeah. like no we're not doing that and i'm just like really and i thought that's what's gonna happen again people are like no what's that like it has its, it has its advantages as well you know the mask just like yeah sometimes it's useful 
I need a permanent reason to like, you know, like a proper reason to end up wearing masks. Because I always used to hand sanitize before, yeah, and wearing plastic gloves. And now I have that and I'm never going to like let go, yeah. And I can always go around saying no face, no case as well for the jokes, yeah. But they're never, they're never going to see me I mean, not wearing it, it a does get a bit stuffy though. Though. Like, <laughs> At times I do like, and my glasses fog up and yeah. like, it does get a bit of a pain sometimes, but. It's a struggle. I'm happy to not see anything out my sunglasses if that's the cost. You know, I mean, like, you're not missing much. It's just not seeing people yeah. not wear their mask. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, cool. I think, yeah, we've, we've come to like an hour and a half party episode. So I guess we should like start to, to wrap up a bit. So Eshe, we end off with like some final questions, a call out and a shout out. So we start with like the final questions. And the first one for you is, what is one piece of advice you would give to a younger you? Oh God. So I knew that was going to come. And I've been thinking about that question since Monday. And you think I would actually have a response. Because it's just so much like I would want to give to my younger self. I think what I would say is just like... You can give a couple. You can say... Okay, great. So the first one is just forgive yourself when you do fail. Because like, again, Hanu sort of said at the start, there's that failure of failing. And since I've started my career, when I say failing, it's not like major failures as well. It's just perhaps not doing certain jobs to the best of my ability, how I wanted it to go. And just kind of forgiving myself for it because I have a tendency of just really holding on to it and beating myself about it, just feeling shit about it. So I would just say, forgive yourself. Like you make mistakes, forgive yourself and learn from it, right? And just try to make sure at least you're failing forward. That's what I would tell myself. The second one is, it's, oh God, it's so cheesy. It's just be like, you are enough. Like, you know, you don't need to be out there doing the most. Like, you, of course, you, like, I continuously want to learn. I continuously want to get better. That's just something that I love about myself at the same time. But at the same time, I am enough. And, you know, when I do know more, I will do better then. Until then, just realize that, you know, I'm enough the way I am. Super cheesy. So that's two things. Great. The second question is, if you had the chance to make a documentary, what would it be about? Ooh, so, and my dream job is to create something to help so as a teacher you see kids you see kids fail all the time and sometimes I worry about what happened to those kids who perhaps do not get the GCSEs they need to go to college they need to go to sixth form or they need to do what they need to do so my documentary will probably be about them like how are they navigating their lives outside of secondary school and what are they doing now what advice will they give to people yeah yeah I think that that failure like an overcoming failure and like failure can be in some instances be a good thing is kind of a uh, quite important and i think it's something actually we've seen in the last since the like euros final yeah quite a lot of people like say which is nice last question so this is actually a question we ask every every um every guest on the podcast and that is what has been your most memorable third wheeling experience so it was quite a few years ago i and my friend was supposed to go to Oktoberfest. We did go to Oktoberfest, but I didn't know the person. As in, in Germany? Yeah. Or... I didn't know the guy we were, uh, she was seeing was going to be there. So we all went, had fun. And I remember I bought my first new balance trainers. Decided to wear it on that day. I mean, clearly, looking back now, the question should have been, why? <laughs> why am I wearing that? So anyway, we're having fun. And then he got really wasted and then threw up on my feet, on my brand new balance trainers first day so fresh oh no that's oh my that's god peak, that's yeah, peak, that's so peak, man. i will never forget that day. i was really really mad like this is the first day first time ever and now it has vomit all over it oh man i drink 
beer. I'm not a massive fan, but I think I'd want to go just to like say I've been, like just say I've experienced it. Was it good? Would you like? Yeah, it was good. Like up until that point, it was good. And I think (laughs) the company was great. It was was such a nice person. You just should have stopped drinking like, I don't know. Ages ago, they just kept him going. And you know. have you still got the trainers? No, oh. <laughs> it's dead, it's gone. I did wash it, so I didn't bin it instantly. I did wash it, but you know, you, it was just I don't know, those kind of stuff like makes my skin crawl. So after a while, yeah, I was just like, enough. okay, no, I need to just let go of this one. The next section is a call out slash nomination. This is where you can basically call out or nominate as many people as you'd like to be a guest on in the future, hopefully. So I actually met up with one of my childhood friends and I told her about this and I did ask her permission because I didn't want to put anyone in the spot. So it's just called Wasima Canfield. So we met at secondary school. Even though she's our age, she's on her second career now, which I think is just so cool. And she's incredibly strong and resilient. I don't think it's easy to be this young and decide, actually, this is not, I thought I wanted to do this or let's take a detour and find another career that's going to be better for me in the future so yeah Wissam Canfield and then last bit it's like a shout out so basically anything you want to plug promote we'll put like links to it in the show in the show notes so yeah Eshe anything oh yeah just our podcast so do come and listen I think it's pretty cool it's so vain I feel like I listen to every episode and I enjoy it and I just feel like (laughs) it's like looking at yourself and going god I enjoy my own company God, I think I'm so beautiful. I think the episodes are great. So um, if you can listen to them, that'll be great. Yeah, wicked. Hamish, anything? Yeah, I'm just going to shout out a couple of songs. One is going to be Somebody's Son by Abracadabra and Get Up by Logic. Go check that out. I'm going to I'm gonna copy Hamish. I don't really shout out songs at albums before, but I'm going to shout out Care Size new album. I don't know if you listen to it, Hamish. It's actually pretty know. good, you know. There's like there's a few like bangers in there. And I, I, I was just thinking, I was listening to it, and I was just thinking now, like it's weird, this guy that I've been watching since I was like, 16 or whatever like make fifa youtube videos and like release songs like lamborghini and hesky time and he's got like a an album with like all these like major artists or whatever but yeah nice it's kind of cool and yeah and it's like i think it's called all over the place and it is kind of all over the place there is kind of genres from like all different oh, that's, uh, why that's been trending bro like each song's like kind of a different genre almost Bro, I've been thinking Skepta's music video went viral again or something like that's why that, that's been trending. Like I was like, how has that suddenly just been gone viral again? It may be all over the house or something, but yeah, no. it's mad. But yeah, I'll put a link to it if people are interested. But yeah, Eshe, thanks so much for coming on. No, thanks for having me. It's fun. Nice being here. Yeah, it's been been a pleasure having you on. And uh, thanks to Anna as well. She left a little while ago, but if she listens back to this, thank you. And uh, yeah, everyone else, hope you enjoyed the episode and we'll catch you all next week. All right, see ya. Bye. Bye. Have a good day. Bye. The studio's my second home. That's why I have it in my bedroom. I really do this all on my own. The shark quarry and my brother home. He was here from the day one. And not gonna lie, he's a real one. And my team